Hello and welcome to the Luke Miller Podcast. I'm glad that you're able to join me today as this episode we take a look at some of the tougher issues in Malachi, starting from the overarching theme of what does privilege look like for God's people and how it actually turned against them as they started to take it for granted. We're also going to take a look at chapter one and that very difficult passage of Esau and Jacob and God loving Jacob but hating Esau. What does that mean? How do we decipher this? I'm excited because this gives us a chance to really examine God's word at a whole different level. I'm glad that you're joining me today. I'm excited for it. One of the key themes that occurs in the book of Malachi is something that we don't often take a look at. And as we take a look at it today and what it means for Israel slowly falling away from God and really starting to allow doubt to creep in, we see that the promises of a nation uh, and the excitement of a nation only just a little while earlier uh, are now starting to disappear as doubt creeps in, as disillusionment creeps in, as, as in many ways, spiritual laziness creeps in. About uh, a century earlier than our timing, and remember last week we pinpointed Malachi taking place between about 432 and 425 B.C., But about a century before that, we see the message of Haggai and Zechariah as they're really trying to motivate the people of of Israel returning from exile to start building the temple. And and Malachi really challenges uh, this as well. Uh, Even a century later, it's something that Nehemiah addresses, and they are contemporaries. Uh, But the people of Israel slowly become disillusioned and doubtful, and they begin to question God's providence in everything. And and what that means for them, and, and this is a theme that runs throughout uh, all the chapters of, of Malachi, is, is that internally they're wondering whether it is worth serving God at all. And externally, these attitudes surface as, in many ways, these mechanical observances, uh, empty rituals, cheating on their tithes and offerings, uh, having very much uh, an indifference to God's uh, moral and ethical law and ceremonial law that he's put in place. It's even gone to the point where priests are now becoming corrupt and their practices are wicked. Uh, and in many ways, I guess the way we could put it is that they are becoming more and more spiritually insensitive that they wonder why they're not being blessed by God. Uh, so throughout all of this, you see that the people of Israel still hold on to this privilege and wonder why God's not blessing them even as they go through just simply the motions of what it means to serve God. Internally, there's nothing there. Externally, they're doing stuff just so they, in in theory, so they can get rewarded. God's asking in many ways, what is your heart? Uh, and, And where is your heart right now in your relationship with me? Remember, Malachi is all about that challenge of living that vibrant life for a living God uh, and have that relationship with him and that covenant for the people of Israel. For us, it's that challenge uh, ourselves of asking, what does that vibrant worship look like uh, for us in our own lives day to day, whether it's in church, whether it's in our neighborhood, workplace, or schools? And and God uses uh, all sorts of questions, and the people respond. And I touched upon it last week, but there's six key questions that are asked uh, and accusations that God makes to the people of Israel, then they are immediately denied by the people of Israel. 
as as God starts to address some of the problems that he sees happening and answers that question of why aren't you being blessed? Uh, and and I think this is something very relevant uh, to us if, as we look at our current society, the state of our our society, it is very easy for us to say that that things are going downhill very quickly. When we look at the past year, it's very easy for doubt and disappointment to creep in, uh, and and there's this challenge of turning back to God. Remember, Malachi is all about arriving at that final stage. Malachi is one of the is the only prophet that actually ends in judgment. Most talk of coming judgment. Malachi ends with actual judgment. And so you see how how frustrated God has gotten with his people. And hopefully that will allow us to take a look at how we uh, view God in America, how we're able to uh, live that vibrant life of worship, and maybe uh, see where where we are in our own relationships with God. So those six questions that we see are, are ones that, uh, one, how has God loved us? Two, how have we despised God's name? Uh, three, how have we defiled God's covenant with us and turned away from it? Four, how have we wearied God? How have we grown tired of God? Uh, five, how have we robbed God? And six, how have we spoken against God? Uh, really, what the people of Israel are saying is every time God makes an accusation, whether it's uh, whether it's God saying, I've loved you so much, uh, you've broken my covenant, you have uh, despised my name, you've grown tired of me, you've robbed me, you've spoken against me. The people reply back by saying, oh, come on now, it can't be that bad. Uh, and and this is where what was a, a, at first a quiet rebellion and not open is starting to grow louder. Their perception of gro- of God is, is growing dim and and out of that, it's resulting in materialism and externalism becoming an, a, a settled characteristic that really grips the, the religious people of Israel. Uh, and later on in, in Jesus' time, uh, what we see in Malachi and what was fostered and the attitude that was fostered in Malachi turns into a New Testament Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, the people who are constantly wrestling with Jesus, the people who are all about just simply the works and and following the law, and that's only it. Nothing relational in any way. Uh, and so, so understanding that what happens in Malachi and, and the people of Israel not turning back to God the way they should by the end of Malachi leads into a whole bunch of problems much later on, four centuries down the road in the Gospels. Out of what happens here, we now see the outflow and the end result of being the Pharisees in in Jesus' time. And so Malachi explores in many ways uh, the privilege of the nation because of the covenant. And then that privilege, it turns into, and that's in at the very beginning, in fact, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, we see that privilege of the nation of Israel. Out of that, it then moves on to the pollution of the nation uh, from chapter 1, verse 6, all the way through to chapter 3. But finally, it ends that there is still promise, there is still hope for that nation in in the middle part of chapter 3 through the end of the book of Malachi. And I wanted to take a moment and go deeper into this because it's not something that we often talk about in in sermons, uh, and there's not usually a lot of time to parse this and take it apart and look at it. Uh, 
necessarily on a Sunday morning, so this gives us this time to do that. Um, in, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, we see this privilege of the nation. The Israelites uh, blind themselves to God's love for them. They're, they're wallowing in, in the problems of the present. They are forgetful of what God had done for them in the past and everything that he had done. And, and God gives them a reminder of his special love by contrasting the fates of Esau, which is Edom in the Bible, and Jacob, which is Israel. And we are going to uh, touch upon that uh, right now because that is that key part of the beginning of uh, Malachi that often we get five verses in and then we say, oh, you know what? This is getting a little too deep. <laughs> this is getting a little tough for me. So uh, so I'm going to just skip ahead to Matthew and, and go to where something is good, right? And so that question in the last part of verse two through verse four, uh, God's answer to their question was, was not Esau Jacob's brother. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I've turned his mounds into wasteland, his inheritance to a, a, to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild with we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says: They may build, I will demolish. They will be called a wicked land, a people under the wrath of the Lord. Now, uh, I don't have the whole amount of time. Uh, to go into the detailed, complex relationship between Esau and Jacob. But I I do want to hit on a few highlights that occur in Genesis chapter 5. And just to to give us the context, again, um, what we studied last week is the setting and the context of Malachi itself and figuring out the dating. Now, <laughs> as, as as deep as this may sound, or as difficult as this may sound, now we're looking at the context of the context. Immediately in our first couple verses, we see Genesis chapter 5 referenced, and we have to go understand to ourselves, what does Genesis chapter 5 mean in, rel- in relation to what's happening in Malachi's time? Um, this is where, and I'll put in a plug, if you've got a cross-reference Bible, you're probably, as you're reading through Malachi, you see Genesis chapter 5 pop up immediately uh, in your side notes and in the footnotes uh, for the cross-references. This is why having a cross-reference Bible is so good. But if you if you look at Genesis chapter 5, Isaac married Rebekah, and when she became pregnant, she realized that she had twins with her. Uh, and even before they were born, they started fighting, it says. Uh, Rebecca wanted to know why this was happening, so she went to God for the answer. And listen to God's response in verse 23. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One will be a stronger than the other, and the, and the older will serve the younger. Now, that's already opposite of, of what would be culturally appropriate at that time, which is the oldest, always is the one that is in charge, gets double the portion of the inheritance. But God is establishing that even before the twins are born, the younger was elected to be exalted and to be promoted for God's purposes. Uh, and, and he could have just as easily chosen Esau over Jacob. Uh, they were twins and, and Esau was older, which means, again, by all customary rights and privileges, he should have had the main inheritance of his father's blessing. But God chose Jacob, and because he did, the people of Malachi's day were chosen as well. 
And they, they would not even be alive were it not for what God says right in Genesis chapter 25. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, in fact, it says, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than all the other people. You were the, the fewest of all the nations, in fact. But it was because the Lord loved you. And, and so, so for us, it's, it's important to remember this, that God always chooses in order to promote his purposes, whether we understand them or not. Uh, those who he chooses, he also protects. And, and their very existence was evidence of God's love. And, and that's that message of Malachi, right? That their very existence of where they are right now, that they are alive right now, that they've come back from exile after being in Babylon uh, and carried away in exile, the fact that they still exist and were not wiped off the planet is evidence of God's love and evidence of God's purpose. But many people have stumbled over verse 3 in Malachi uh, chapter 1, which is, but Esau I have hated. There's a few things to remember that may help us understand the meaning of this strong statement. In his heart, Jacob hungered after God. Even though he was a schemer, even though he was a scoundrel in many ways, as he matured in his faith, he grew to trust God. Esau, on the other hand, placed no value in spiritual matters. He despised his birthright and treated God with utter indifference. We actually see this in, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 16 and 17, that says, See that no one is godless like Esau, who for a, a single meal sold his inheritance rights to the, uh, as the oldest son. Afterwards, uh, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, it goes on to say, though he sought the blessing with tears. Now, uh, so, so we see here that there's a difference in the heart, okay? Uh, and as we look at, but Esau, I have hated, you know, this is a difficult, difficult passage. Many commentators suggest that the words love and hate should be used in a, in a relative sense. Uh, really, uh, in Hebrew, it's an idiom. If a father had two sons and gave one the inheritance, it was said that he loved one and he hated the other, Okay. Uh, and so there's, it, it's a little more different than just simply hate. This is a Hebrew idiom uh, that's being used here. God loved Jacob so much, in comparison, it seemed as if he hated Esau or loved him less. This is just the way Hebrew writes itself. Uh, we'll, we can see this in a few other different areas uh, as well uh, in Scripture, uh, and and this is something new. In Luke chapter 14, 26, he states that in order to be his disciples, we must hate our family and self. He's not saying that we should actually hate our family members to follow Jesus and become disciples, but that we should love them less, uh, love them less as clarified in Matthew chapter 10. Anyone who loves his father more than me is not worthy of me, Jesus says. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So you have to understand, again, and this is the importance of the context of it all, that God is not saying to hate your mother and father in order to be a disciple or hate your son or daughter in order to be a disciple, just like he is not saying that he hated Esau, per se, as that compared to his love for Jacob, it would have seemed like hating. Uh, and so that's a very important thing that, that we don't pick up in the English because hate is a very strong word that we have today. Um, 
But that being said, uh, when you look at the Hebrew uh, words of it and, and the way that Hebrew writes itself, it has a very different meaning. Even the Greek has a different meaning uh, for that. Uh, and so, so there's this challenge in this passage, right? It's not as difficult as it actually seems. It is saying, compared to God's love for Jacob, uh, this is what it looked like for Esau. Uh, and we also see that this was a heart issue for both of them. And I think there's also, I should say, uh, a bit of hope in there, that realizing that at the very beginning of it all, uh, Jacob was the one who was a scoundrel and and was a schemer, and and yet we see his faith maturing, and we see that that he grew to trust God. A- Esau, on the other hand, it was not the case. No value in spiritual matters, and so so understanding this, we can get a better a better perspective of what it meant for God to uh, to love Jacob and hate Esau, and because. Esau's heart had no change in it. We see everything come about of, of them being a despised nation, constantly being uh, wrecked and ruined. Uh, Modern-day Edom is southern southern Jordan into Iraq. Uh, and so you can also make the conclusions that you uh, can probably see there uh, as well from even throughout history, not just in biblical times, that this is an area that is constantly been conquered by um by Israel. God has favored Jacob. God has favored Israel. Now, that's the privilege that they have. We're looking, we've only gotten to verses one through five, uh, but we then see that there's pollution that really creeps in. Uh, even with the privilege, sometimes become we see disillusionment and think, okay, now we're privileged. We've got that covenant. Nothing can go wrong. Uh, and the priests have lost all respect for God's name, and they and in their greed offer only diseased and imperfect animals on the altar. Uh, They have more respect for the Persian governor than they do for the living God. Uh, Moreover, God is withholding his blessing from them because of their disobedience to God's covenant and their insincere teaching. The the people are indicted for treachery in divorcing their wives uh, of their youth uh, in order to marry foreign uh, pagan women uh, in response as well, uh, to their questioning of God's justice, to the justice of God, they receive a promise of the Messiah's coming, but also a warning of judgment that he will bring upon them. Uh, and so all of a sudden, what was, uh, in many ways, privilege, we now see that privilege has been polluted by their own heart. Um, and the, the people have robbed God. And and I think, again, the final problem is this arrogant challenge to God's character. And the challenge is answered in really the remainder of the book uh, after chapter three. But for where we are in this, what I would say, the pollution of the nation, here we have this promise. Uh, And we also see how quickly the nation gets polluted when, uh, A, there is no respect for God. Uh, and, And people are just going through the motions of worship hoping that they get blessed because of of what they do, not because of recognizing and being in that relationship with God. Let's translate that to us for a little bit uh, and to modern day. I don't think we have to go too far to draw lines between what's happening in uh, Genesis chapter 5 to what's happening in in Malachi to what's happening in first century 
uh, Israel to what's happening today. Um, it is very easy for uh, all of a sudden, in many ways, uh, teaching to become insincere. insincere. Uh, God's teaching to become insincere. Uh, we see across the nation uh, people just deciding, you know what, I'm going to water down the gospel. I'm going to make it so it's easier. I, I'm i not going to deal with the tougher issues. Uh, and, and that is one of those things that, again, is there an insincerity to the word of God? If we say, you know what, I'm going to cut out the tough passages of, of Scripture, and therefore I'm not going to be dealing with all of Scripture. We're taking away from God's word. Um, and and as we see with Malachi, it's withholding the blessings that are coming. I truly believe that the, the churches that are that are growing the most as disciples and as Christ followers are the ones that, uh, and the blessings that are being put upon them are because they're teaching God's word, every part of it. Um, and, and it is easy for us to become polluted. It's easy for us, and I say this across the Western culture, to to say, you know what? I'm let's make it easier for people to be Christ followers. And and let's take away uh this component of who God is. Uh and and allow uh different doctrines that are false doctrines to sneak into to God's word. And and so for us, this is something that we really need to address. Uh the issue of marriage is is a very good one. Um the some and, and it's it's sad to see that that's even an issue uh, of of what it should be between a man and a wife. The, secondly, we also see that that another core core problem is the sanctity of life. I mean, uh, surely God mourns over the fact that uh, that abortion is even an issue in uh, in in Western culture. Uh, it's something that He despised as He looked at uh, in. Even in biblical times, uh, warning the people of Israel that the, the the people of Canaan were ones who sacrificed their kids, who killed their their children and their babies, uh, uh, and so we can see how quickly things get polluted. Um, and and I'm just giving a few examples, but a few key examples to to what happens in all of this. And so uh, with this, I really hope that that we can see that you know there is very much a relation to Malachi to where we are now in turning back to God. Uh, and needing that need to turn back to God. And this is where it can help us, is, is just finally finishing here. Uh, we've gone from this uh, picture of privilege to this picture of pollution to now uh, this picture of, of still there's a promise there. God's covenant is not abandoned. He's not abandoned his covenant with the people of Israel. There will be judgment, but there is still not abandonment. And in the last chapters, we see that the Lord assures his people that a time is coming when the wicked will be judged, and and those who fear him will be blessed. And the day of the Lord will reveal that all of the difficulties are not in vain, right? Uh, And it's not in vain to serve God. Uh, And and Malachi ends, in fact, with a a bitter curse, Uh, although the people are finally cured of idolatry, there is very little spiritual progress made in Israel's history. Sin abounds, and and the need for the coming Messiah is greater than ever. And that points us to to first century Israel and the coming of the Messiah and John the Baptist, which actually gets mentioned uh, a little uh, uh, right in Malachi, uh, in the prophecy of, of the one coming from the wilderness. And so, uh, so as we look at this, uh, again, I think it's important for us to realize where we are now, 
we can look back at the glory days of where where we were in Western culture as as a nation uh, years ago, and and whatever date you choose. But uh, one of the things that is key of Malachi is saying if we don't address this stuff, then we see what happens in those four hundred years of silence between when Malachi gives this message and when Jesus comes on the scene, and the need for the Messiah, and the need uh, for uh, the people of Israel to go to return to God. Because in those 400 years, we see what started in Malachi as, as just an indifference and a spiritual laziness to where the Pharisees and the Sadducees and Judaism of that time had simply been be- become about following the law and nothing in a relationship with God. Uh, and, and this is not what we don't want as Christ followers, as disciples, and what that looks like. Uh, and so uh, that being said, it's important because it's very easy to look at the, a nation and look at Western culture and say it is being polluted. But it's also easy for us to forget that the promise of God is still there for us. Uh, and we need to recognize that. Uh, so I think that's a good place for us to stop. We've ta- we've tackled Esau and Jacob and what that means. We've tackled uh, really the the privilege of the nation of Israel, the pollution then of the nation of Israel, and then the promise of the nation uh, as well. And now is the challenge for us to how do we respond to where we are as as a people, as a church, as individuals, as a nation, and where God is calling us. Uh, And so hopefully this gives us a bit more uh, depth into uh, Malachi and takes away some of the difficulty in the passages that we've talked about. And so so with that being said, uh, I am going to finish up. Thank you so much for joining us today as as we've taken a look at this. I'm really looking forward to next week as we continue diving deeper into some of the the core issues of Malachi, those difficult passages that that as we looked at today, are not so difficult. We can do this. Even the, It's God's word speaking to us. It is relevant today. Uh, and I'm, I love looking at this. Uh, the difficult passages usually draw out uh, some of the most uh, beautifully woven uh, relational stuff with God and, and his purposes for us in our lives. So we're going to dive deeper into this next week and continue on in this. So take care. I'll talk to you next week.